Hey, thank you so much for checking out today's video. I'm Pastor Matt, this is Pastor Adrienne, and we pray this message blesses you and encourages you all throughout your week. Absolutely. For any more information on how to be praying with us or to become a part of our community or to give, please head on over to takeovergr.com. Kids. Yes, so, that's right. Pastor right. Adrienne. Thank you, Charlie. Thank you, guys. Oh, my goodness. I am losing my voice a little bit, so... I was not my usual chaotic self during worship today. If you did not notice, I'm trying to save it for right now. Is everybody happy to be here? It's Sunday, y'all. All right. Let's continue this party. Okay, so this morning I just want to open up in prayer. Um, just listening to the to the prayer cards and knowing what my week has looked like and knowing what um, some other people's weeks have looked like. I think there's a lot of heartbreak in the house this morning, and I just want to know that you're in the right place for going through that, and that um, transparency and trust and community and letting people in on your hurt is a big deal, and we definitely do that here at TakeOver. So I just want to open up in prayer this morning. God, thank you so much for meeting us here. Jesus, thank you for your presence that transcends any pain or struggle or wrestling or heartbreak that we go through, Father. I thank you that we don't have to do this thing alone. I thank you that you're aware and with us every step of the way. And I thank you for my brothers and my sisters, this incredible family, God, and people who are chasing after you desperately. Lord, I just pray that in the pain and in the wrestling, that you would give peace, hope, and courage to all those who need it. In Jesus' mighty name and all of God's people said, amen. All right, so this morning we are continuing our series, um, Live No Lie, and my title this morning is An Altar to an Unknown God. And if you do, who has their Bibles? Yes, yes. Who knows that you can get free Bibles out there if you don't have one? Yes, does everybody know that? There's a bookshelf out there full of notebooks and Bibles and everything that you need. You can help yourself to it. It's all free. Everybody loves free, right? Who knows what to say when I say, do you hear me? Oh, I hear you. Thank you. Okay, just needed to check. Just needed to check. It's been a minute since I've been up here. All right. So this morning, I'm going to be talking about the book of Acts. Has anybody read it? Yep. Acts of the Apostles, depending on um, what translation of the Bible you have. Um, but it is a book that is about the formation of the church. And it's, an, it's about all the incredible men and women who really came alongside the church in its infancy. Um, now, Acts of the Apostles, that word apostle, apostle and disciple are actually used pretty interchangeably in the New Testament. It's, um, it means that someone who's on mission to share the gospel everywhere they are. And in Paul's case, he actually was a missionary. He traveled literally everywhere to bring that good news um, to the people who needed to hear it. And he was, he would preach. He spent a lot of time preaching, traveling, getting arrested, thrown in jail, thrown out of jail, preaching, teaching, getting arrested. You know, that whole, just kept on going, that whole cycle. Um... But this book takes place roughly 63, 70 AD. And by this time, Jesus has already died on the cross. 
he's ascended into heaven and he has sent his Holy Spirit to rest on his people, on his disciples. And the book starts out kind of talking about the 12, 12 disciples, um, no Judas Iscariot for obvious reasons, but he gets replaced and it's these 12 guys. And then they just, they get this Holy Spirit fire inside of them and they just start spreading that to literally anyone who will listen. And people are just getting just smote in the Holy Spirit and it is catching like fire from one person to the next person. And it is absolutely incredible. And this book is a lot about the sacrifices that they make in the name of Jesus. Um, just having so much courage to go out into the world that does not want to hear what they have to say and to just continue to plead with them about the truth and the love that is our Jesus. Um, they meet a lot of different people as they are traveling about, um, and I'm going to talk about three of them today. And the first type of people that they meet are people who are not necessarily believers, but they hear, they hear the word and they are radically transformed by the power, love, and devotion of God and Jesus. And these are the Christians who kind of form the, early, the very early church. Many of these people are pagans, and they come from a radically different religion than what Jesus is preaching, than what Jesus is talking about. Um, but it changes their lives forever. The second group of people are these religious leaders, these Jewish zealots, who are actually the men who had Jesus crucified. And they are still pretty ticked off. They don't like that a bunch of uneducated fishermen are going around and challenging their concepts of who God truly is. What is justice? What is truth? And they want to stone anybody who um, carries the torch for Jesus. And the last group that we're going to talk about is potentially a group that we really haven't talked about here in church very much. And um, they're a group of people that Paul comes across here in Acts 17, and they're a bunch of philosophers, and um, which you'll come to find out they're very different than the pagan people, and they're very different than the religious zealots. They are something completely new. Um, when I hear the word like philosophy, it just automatically triggers me and I go all the way back to college, which was a long time ago for me now. Um, but I was required, I went to art school in case everybody doesn't know that I'm an artist. I went to art school. Um, I thought I would get to avoid philosophy and math. I didn't, I actually had to do all that stuff, but I had to take two philosophy courses to graduate and one of them, I think I waited so long in my senior year that it was me and a bunch of grad students, which if you don't know, that's kind of terrifying. It's like people who are going to school for like eight years and I was only there for four. So um, they really were smart, had a lot of stuff going on and I really didn't. I just remember <laughs> reading a lot of Susan Sontag, not understanding anything that was happening. There was no graded assignments whatsoever in the course. There was two presentations you had to give and that was your entire grade. So if you, if you uh, kind of missed on one of those, you were going to fail. And I had never failed anything before. So I read a bunch of stuff I didn't understand. And somehow I, I passed. It was a miracle of God. We're talking miracles. It was a miracle of God. Solid B. And my teacher told me that it was a joy to have in class. So that was an absolute win for me. Um, but that's what I think of when I hear philosophy. I think of just like 
ugh, that was not fun. It was not something that I was really interested in. And that word philosophy, it makes me cringe because to me it means that it's people who are trying to make sense of a world that they don't want God to have any part in. That's what philosophy means to me. The actual definition of philosophy, however, um, is humans trying to understand the world not through religion or by accepting authority, but through reason. Now, when we talk about reason, reason is the power of the mind to think, understand, form judgments by a process called logic. And logic, it turns out, is the study of principles needed for accurate reasoning. Because we can all reason as the day is long, and that doesn't make it accurate, right? Can I get an amen? Amen. Um, so that is kind of like the opening of the black hole that is philosophy. Um, it's pretty much trying to understand the world in terms, these people are trying, these philosophers are trying to understand the world in different terms than the pagans at the time. So the religious Greeks at the time would have looked up at the sky, they would have seen the sun move from one horizon to the other horizon, and they would have said that that is the god Helios on a chariot of fire riding from one horizon to the other horizon all the way around the world. Uh, they might have thought the world was flat at that time. So from one edge of the world to the other edge of the world. And philosophers really kind of began to question with scientific reasoning that perhaps it wasn't some rando guy riding a chariot of fire across the sky. It was actually just this gaseous ball of fire millions of miles out in space and it actually looked like it was going over the horizons because the, maybe the earth was turning. Like this was kind of the beginning of that formative thought um, of reason that there was something other than what the, what the pagan religions were believing at the time. Um, and there are a lot of wonderful things that have come from philosophy. I don't want to say that there aren't. It's just something that I think it's a little unpleasant for me personally. Um, there are a lot of important scientific discoveries that have kind of come from the beginning of that, that reasoning and that logic. And I think that people often think of Christianity and science at, as being at odds with each other. And I strongly disagree with that. I think that God is the author of all things and that science is the language that we can use um, to help us understand his beauty and design of his creation. Does that sound good? Yeah. And I'm saying that knowing that God is the creator. Um, the difference with the philosophers at the time was that they were having these discussions with the exclusion of God. They weren't interested in having him be a part of that. Um, there is this Greek dude. His name is Protagoras. And he kind of sums up the theme of the early Greek thinkers with this quote, man is the measure of all things which as we know, man is a pretty crappy measure when it comes to <laughs> uh, things he didn't design, create, or um, were created by a divine, holy, and all-powerful God. Do you hear me? There you go. That was a little weaker. Next one, I, I want you to buff it out a little bit more, okay? Do you hear me? That's better. That's better. The word of God can never change, right? The word of man has and always will. So, if we go back to Acts, I've laid the foundation of the time, the place, the people that we're going to be meeting, and now I want to talk just a second about the main player that we're going to be talking about. Like I said, it, the book starts out talking about the disciples, 
Peter being the main guy that it kind of is talking about. And then very quickly it moves over to this guy named Saul, um, which Saul, I know that we talk about him a lot. Matt loves him. Um, he was one of these religious zealots. He was one of these Jewish leaders. He was bad news for Christian people. He was kind of sneaky, going undercover, finding these people who proclaimed to love Jesus, and he was giving them over to the authorities, and they were just murdered heinously in just brutal, brutal ways. They were martyred. And he is going around getting a bunch of Christians killed, and he thinks that he's doing the act of God. He actively thinks that he is the hands of God here on earth. And he radically gets converted. He's riding on his donkey, and God just Shakabuku knocks him right off his donkey, blinds the guy. He can't even see, speaks to him directly, tells him who he is, that he's the one true God. And he is blind for, I think he's blind for three days. And God speaks to this other Christian who loves Jesus. And it's just like, hey, you got to go heal this Saul guy. And he's just like, what are you talking about? He's been killing us. And the Holy Spirit's just like, I need you to go heal this guy. And he doesn't want to do it, but because he's faithful and he's a good Christian, he goes over there and he heals him. And Saul becomes Paul. He gets healed and he starts going around just spreading the news of Jesus. At first, the early church is just like, this homie is bad news. He's just like pretending and then he's just going to get us all killed. He wants all of our secrets and then he's just going to He's going to tell everybody and he's going to disembowel the, the early church. But it turns out that he really did love Jesus. And it was seen through all of the miracles that he did, through all of the things that he did for the early church. So at the time we pick it up, in Acts 17, what am I doing? Okay. At Acts 17, um, this is Paul. He is, he is solid. The church loves him. They are backing him. And at this point, he arrives in Athens. So in Acts 17, 16 through 21, it says, While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see the city full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace, day by day, with those who happened to be there. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him, some of them asking, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seems to be advocating for foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of the Areopagus, where where they said to him, May we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. So, these people just do absolutely nothing but stand around and talk about who offended who, what's going on, their new reason, their new logic, and then this guy comes along who has the same story every single time. He's saying the same exact thing everywhere he goes. It doesn't change. It doesn't shift. It's the same story from beginning to end. And these guys are just like, wow, that's not like us. You know, we kind of talk about all the different things as the day is long. And his is the same every single day. So they, they invite him up to the Areopagus. And he is an absolute gangster. I mean, when I think of Paul... I think of somebody who's so, like, 
he is like that scary guy who's got a really good mean mug, who no matter how much you insult him, he never, ever cracks. He's like the same. He's just chill and cool because he knows he's right. So he goes up to this place, and he is already offended or at least heartbroken because he's walked through Athens, and he has seen all of the idols that they have there, which is a ton. They have a ton of idols to a ton of different gods. We're talking like hundreds here. They're made of clay. They're made of stone. They're made of all these precious metals. And he knows that the one true God does not, is not made out of clay. And he actually put on flesh and bone, and he walked amid the people, healing them and rescuing them and wanting them to be saved. Man's got, man-made gods, man-made God and idols pale in comparison to the one true God. Do you hear me, people? So after preaching and speaking to the believers, edifying them and strengthening them, because that's what we do first. We go to the church, we edify the saints, we speak to them, we encourage them, we, we tell them to press on. He then moves on to the, the free thinkers of the time, which would be these two types of philosophers, the Stoics and the Epicureans. So the Epicureans are, they argued, their, their thought, their crux was that pleasure was the chief good in life. It was the rule by which all men should live, pleasure. And then you have the Stoics, and the Stoics argued that seeing is believing. So proof is the measure of truth. So two different, two different types. Do we know any Epicureans or Stoics? Yeah? yeah? Turn on any social media, any news outlet, you've got Epicureans and you've got Stoics all over the dang place. They might not call themselves that anymore, but if man is the measure of all things, and that's certainly what we're seeing out there right now. Yes? Yes. So, um, they invite him to this place called the Areopagus, which I do have an image of that, if you want to put it up there. So this is the Areopagus here, this bottom portion, this, is this flat um, outcropping, and then this is actually the Acropolis up here where the Parthenon is. So, Athens is all around, and this is the, the main stage where they would come, and they would talk, and you can even see these like pillars. I'm sure there's a couple idols hanging all around, and then there's one lone figure over there, and then all these people over here. So that's where Paul's going to go. He's going to lay the, some serious smack down. So um, he gets invited up to this place, and I mean, at the time, I think that if you have never studied architecture and history in conjunction with the Bible, you absolutely need to do it because it will blow your mind the way people used to live and what they were able to do at the given time. This place is insane. If you've never seen the Parthenon and the Acropolis, like what it originally looked like, mind-blowing. It's cray-cray. So anyways, that being said, Paul gets invited up to this place um, and in Acts 17, 22, he says, Paul stood up in the meeting at the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. You are, so you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And, in, and this is what I am going to proclaim to you. So just pausing right there. These people are so hungry and so thirsty for any God, any, any presence out there that is greater than a human being, 
that they literally built an altar to an unknown God, just in case there was somebody that they happened to miss. <laughs> if there's a God of the pineapples, they've got the God of the pineapples. If there's the God of the water, they've got the God of the water. And just in case there was some God that they forgot to name, they have an altar to an unknown God. So he sees that these are people of faith. It takes a lot of faith to believe in all of these different gods, to have all of these different places of worship. They have a lot of faith. They just don't have the right truth. They don't have the truth. They have a version of what they think is true, and the philosophers have a version of what they think is true. And now we get to the point where Paul is about to open a, a serious can of a whoopity do, and he sees the sickness, he sees the illness, and he's about to provide the medicine. So in Acts 17:24, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth, and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all nations, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their, their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him, though he is not far away from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. And he has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. So obviously that person that Paul is talking about is, is Jesus. And he tells him about the one true God and how he isn't some far off unknowable God. And that he certainly isn't made out of stone or gold. And he's not the guy who rides in a chariot across the sky. He is closer than they would ever know and far more willing to be and ready to be in a relationship than something, some idol, some idol that never speaks to them, that never answers their prayers, that never hears them when they cry out. He is so ready and so willing for people to just reach out to him. He is the God, capital G, and he has not made of silver or gold or even built up of thoughts or reasonings. He is the father of life and the father of thought. And when people step outside the design that God has for us, obviously we know we get a whole lot of brokenness, we see a lot of evil, and a whole lot of bondage. In this life, whether people believe it or not, we are priests, every single person. The, the, the faithful person to Christ is a priest, and the non-believer is a priest. And what I'm saying is, is that we are spiritual beings, and this is a spacesuit. And we came from a spiritual place, and we are in a spacesuit, and we're going back to a spiritual place. Amen? So whether you are a Christ follower or a non-believer, you are a priest. Your body is a temple, and there are altars within the body with, that you keep that you are a priest of. 
You follow me? Yeah? We have altars in our temples where we worship many different things. We're not supposed to, but we do. And sometimes we don't even know that we're doing it. We can worship money, sex, power, control, knowledge, reason, justice, rage, addiction, fear, worry, even pain, and even distraction. If we take a moment to imagine the temple inside of us, what does that look like? And if everybody would just close their eyes, I'm going to welcome the Holy Spirit in, and we are going to just do a little, a little searching this morning. Holy Spirit, we just welcome you into this place again. God, every eye closed, every Christian praying. Jesus, we want you to move amid your people. Lord, as we, as we talk about altars and sacrifices and idols and the one true God this morning, we just pray that you bring everything to the forefront of our mind that we could be worshiping without even knowing it. Lord, and we just pray that you give us the power, the strength, and the conviction to stop worshiping at those altars this morning. Amen. Just keep your eyes closed. For many people, that temple can look like a dark room with many fires burning to many gods. Little g. For some, there is a dark room and an altar of pain that you keep returning to, that you let determine who you are, how you treat people, and you use it as an excuse to explain why you act the way that you do. And at this altar, the sacrifice that is always sacrificed is freedom and potential. Maybe there's a different altar, and that altar is worry, where you come daily and you worship with your time, your energy, and your fear. You return again and again, assuming the worst, imagining what could happen to those you love and trying to control the world around you. The thing you sacrifice there is peace. Perhaps in the dark, there's an altar wreathed in a sexual sin, twisting deep inside of you in the dark. You want to turn away from it, but you keep looking back. And the sacrifice at this altar is a sacrifice of purity and trust. Lastly, perhaps your faith in God is the single candle burning in the dark. And every time a gust of reason or something that says it's superior to the word and knowledge of God blows in, that candle flickers and almost goes out. You have a hard time separating your deeply intellectual mind from your spirit, your faith, and your belief in the one true God, his Holy Spirit, and his word. And the sacrifice here on this altar is faith. You can open your eyes. There are many altars that many people have inside of them. And some altars have been left for a very, very long time and have decayed because people refuse to return to those altars. And this morning, I wanted to take a minute and just do that function, that exercise of looking within. Because like Nikki said this morning during our rally, that if there is a point of frustration in our life where we don't feel a movement of God, it's because we're not trusting him with that area of our life. It can mean that there's an altar set up to a different type of God that we wouldn't even call a God that we are going to, that we are trusting with our pain, that we are sacrificing on that altar. 
Do you hear me? I know it's heavy, but it's going to get good, so hang on. If we found an altar, the next question would be, how do we clear it out? How do we get rid of it? How do we get it so that it's, it's falling into decay and not an altar that we're returning to anymore? How do we stop the unnecessary sacrifices in this backwards, painful form of worship? When we stand before the sea of idols, dead, lifeless, made of stone or gold, or thoughts or ideas, they're just that. They're without life. When we look to the creator of the universe, however, we see him for who he is, an all-powerful, divine, holy, perfect, and madly in love with his people, God. However, when we forget God's power, his holiness, he can start to look a lot like the rest of those idols, right? He can start to look lifeless. He can start to look, he can start to sound silent. That is not who our God is. When we recall God and who he really is in his power and his holiness, it is impossible for him to be a silent idol. It is impossible for him to not be the God that we know that he is. So if we need to clear out those idols and we need to light up the temple that he has within us with the true power and the true fire of our God, we have got to go back to his holiness and his power in Jesus' name. Now, everybody has a different place in the Bible that they go back to when they think of God's power, God's holiness. When I think of God's holiness, and I have to remember how powerful he is, I always go back to Moses on the top of Mount Sinai. Now, as many of you know, Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt, and they're in the wilderness, and he goes up on this mountain, and God is actually dictating to him the best life that he could ever, that he planned for all of us. He, he wants to share that with his people. So he's dictating to Moses. He's fallen on this mountain in the shape of a cloud, and Moses is the only one who can go up there. And he is speaking so powerfully to Moses. And I have just a little excerpt out of Exodus right here. It is insane. It just blows my mind every single time I read this. On the morning of the third day, thunder roared and lightning flashed. A dense cloud came down on the mountain. There was a long, loud blast from a ram's horn, and all the people trembled. Moses led them out of the camp to meet God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. All of Mount Sinai was covered with smoke, because the Lord had descended on it in the form of fire. The smoke billowed into the sky like smoke from a brick kiln, and the whole mountain shook violently. As the blast of the ram horn grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and God thundered his reply. That is a God who is alive, active, and powerful. It's not a silent God. It's not a chill God. It's not an old God. It's not a deaf God. It's a loud God that is going to rock the mountain, appear in the form of fire, and kill anything that touches that rock that it should not. That is who our God is. You can clap. Clap your hands, people. That's who he is. That doesn't sound like a stone idol or a golden calf to me. That sounds like a God who in his glory is insanely scary. 
right? Yeah. And another point in scripture, Moses says that he wants to see God's glorious presence. He wants to witness it. Because at this point in time, there's, there's something going on in that mountain where God is still shielded from Moses. Moses has experienced the presence of God, but he's not physically seeing God, what he looks like as God. He's seeing like a pillar of fire or some crazy stuff. I don't know what happened. Humans cannot see the glory of God. It says this. It can't look him right in the face. There, there's something that would happen. There's, there's something with our humanness that we cannot handle all of what God is. I don't know if we're talking some Raiders of the Lost Ark, mounting of the face, exploding of the body. I don't know if that's what would happen. It doesn't say that. That's what I like to think would happen if we looked at the face of God. Our faces would melt off and we'd explode. If we were not, only if we were Nazis. I'm just kidding. If you haven't seen that movie, go watch it. Everybody's seen that movie, right? Raiders of the Lost Ark, Indiana Jones, Salem. I am disappointed. Okay, okay, okay. Anyways, anyways, it does not say why we cannot look on the face of God and come away unscathed. It doesn't give us the particulars of, of that. But he tells Moses, okay, fine, I'll pass before you. I, I'm going to pass before you, but I'm going to stick you in the crevice of this rock. And also, when I go by, I'm going to hold my hand up so you can't see my face. And also, maybe just don't look until I've actually passed you by and you can just see the back of me. That's probably just safest. So that's how powerful and glorious the presence of God is, is that he has to not only jam Moses in a crevice, hold up his hand, and then just advise him to look at his back as he goes by. Because human perception just could not handle it. So he does. Moses, Moses does get to experience the, glorious, the gloriousness of God. And he, he, is, he is communing so closely with God that when he comes off of the mountain, his face is radiant. His face is freaking glowing. Like he has to wear a veil when he's with the rest of the Israelites because they, they can't even look at him. Like, that is how close he is to God. Who wants to be that close to God? Yeah? Okay, I'm going to tell you how. I'm going to tell you how. Are you ready for it? Okay. So we need to be seeking God. To be that close to God, we have to be seeking God. If the worship team wants to scoot on up here. To be seeking God means that we have to be in communion with him and we have to be taking up every opportunity that comes along for us to get closer to him, right? Two weeks ago, I was reading about this Celtic Christian term that's called thin places. And it's actually these rare locations, they say they're rare, but I don't believe that's the truth. It's where the distance between heaven and earth collapses. That's what a thin place is, right? It's where you can be standing in two places at once. This place, two weeks ago on a Wednesday, was a thin place. We had a worship here. We had our first ever takeover worship seek night right here in this building. And it was absolutely bananas. I cannot describe to you the feeling that was in this place because it was unlike anything I'd ever felt before. 
I've had glimpses. We've experienced glimpses right here in this place on Sundays. We've had it. But on Wednesday, it was different. It was thin. And heaven was here. People were getting released. Bondage was falling off. There was healing happening. There was words that were given. And there was a closeness and a radiance that was coming off of people when they left on that Wednesday. That was insane. I was changed. If you want to seek God in the same fashion that Moses did, you need to be here every Wednesday night for the first month of 2022. In January, we were having a worship night every single Wednesday. Yes. Now, this is for people who are saved. This is for people who are not saved. This is for people who go to different churches. This is for your family members. This is for all of the people that God loves, which is everyone. If you have friends that go to a different church that need to get built up, you need to invite them here. If you have people in your life who they're not sure how they feel about church, well, nobody's going to talk to you. You're going to hide in the back of the worship night because we are focused up here every single time. This is how we are going to get those thin places. This is how we are going to become radiant in the presence of God. This is how we are going to stir up revival in this city by starting with stirring it up in ourselves. Yes? There's a reason that we are devoting ourselves for the first month of 2022 in that fashion. We're going to be fasting. We're going to be worshiping. We are going to be seeking the Lord. As things get crazier out there, we need to get crazier up in here. Amen? (laughs) Now, when Paul delivered that message and the Areopagus, some people laughed at him. Many believed. And some even said, why don't you come back? We, we want to hear more about this guy, Jesus. But no doubt, some returned to that altar of an unknown God and found there, just like before, no power, no presence, and no proof. Don't be like them. And don't return to those old altars. And you need to do that by making change. And that means being here. It means being with your people. It means actively participating in a relationship with God, our Father, to be radically changed in Jesus' name. As you go out into this week, I hope that you spend some time in Exodus and you read about that powerful God who speaks to us in a whisper but is not afraid to show up in a storm. He's not weak, he's not far off, he's not silent, and he's certainly not made of stone. He wants to know you intimately, desperately. He put on skin, he came here, and he died for every single one of us. I don't see a stone god doing that. I don't see a golden calf making that kind of sacrifice, because they can't. For me, reading through those scriptures is empowering because it 
reminds me that I am a very teeny tiny part of a story that is so vast I can't even comprehend it. It transcends time, space, heaven, and earth. And you, every single one of you is a part of that as well. I'm comforted to know that I'm serving a God who is not silent, but is who, who is with me every single day. We can walk free in a power that comes from him and lives inside of all of us. If you want to close your eyes, I'm going to close in prayer and we're going to go into another moment of worship. God, thank you so much for being here. Always, Lord. Thank you for the temple that is within us, that your Holy Spirit inhabits. God, I just pray death to the old altars that are not of you, Father. We want so desperately to be like you and to be with you, Lord. Help us as we seek you. You are so, so good. We are crippled by your goodness, Father. And we are stunned by your awesomeness. I just pray that your fire burns in such a ferocious capacity this week. In your people, in your mighty name, and all of God's people said, Amen. Stand up, everyone. We're going back into a moment of worship.